Today, we continue our seven-week series on the letters to the churches in Revelation. And our text today is Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29, the letter to the church of Thyatira. This is the fourth of the seven churches. Good news, you've made it this far. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last. And God, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for your spirit, God. And Lord, I pray that your presence would be manifest with my brothers and sisters right now. Um, Lord, that you would meet them where they are in their homes, uh, where they are gathering and watching and communing together. Uh, now, God, and bless their families. Um, Lord, be with them. Uh, bless their homes, God, and keep guard over them. Lord, I pray that you would work in us now, Spirit, as we open our ears to hear and our eyes to see you, Jesus. Work in our midst now. We turn our minds and our hearts to you, King Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So uh, today, I want to talk to you about how our allegiance to Jesus is crucial, no matter our circumstances in life. And as I was preparing for this message, uh, it became very clear to me what an important message this is in light of where we, reality, are as a church today. Because we live in a city that we all know is one of the most outwardly tolerant cities. If you've lived here for any period of time, you know this to be true. That we are a city that values tolerance. And to some extent, that's a beautiful thing. Our city is a sanctuary city in that way. It can be really beautiful. But what we're going to learn from our text is the thing that Jesus had against this church was that they were tolerant. They were actually too tolerant. What if there was a limit to our tolerance? What if you can't be tolerant of everything and specifically tolerant of compromise. What limit would it be for us as followers of Jesus? This is something we have to untangle. Because the fact is, not only do we live in a city of tolerance, but we live in a world of tolerance. Uh, in, the, in 1916, the legendary silent film director D.W. Griffith produced Intolerance. It was a movie. Uh, this epic movie focused on four stories of persecution from the crucifixion of Christ to the fall of ancient Babylon. And the subject matter sounds noble, but intolerance was actually part of a response to critics of, uh, of Griffith's 1915 racist movie, Birth of a Nation, which glorified the Ku Klux Klan. You can see some of the movie uh, posters from that uh, in that time. Griffith's Jekyll and Hyde films reflects America's continuing contradictory attitudes towards intolerance. As a country, we've always been somewhat confused about what tolerance means and who or what should be tolerated. Thomas Jefferson vowed in 1803 that he would never, quote, bow to the shrine of intolerance or admit a right of inquiry into the religious opinions of others. Uh, though he was notably more tolerant of slavery. Uh, but as Griffith's intolerance showed, humans have always struggled to live peacefully. 
You see, our world wants everyone tolerant and accepting of everyone. And we see this in politics and our discussions of race and gender. And there are points and parts of that which are understandable as we live in a civic society. But for followers of Jesus, there's a certain point where our tolerance has to end and we have to be intolerant of some things because there's some good tolerance and there's a point where our tolerance hits its limits. And it's the point where our tolerance needs to end that we have to discern as followers of Jesus. Being intolerant when it comes to compromise, but tolerant when it comes to bearing with our neighbors in a civic way. What we'll see from today's text is that part of remaining faithful to Jesus means having a bit of intolerance in our lives. We're going to learn from the church in Thyatira when tolerance is not okay and how we can be wise and balance life with both civic tolerance and faithful Jesus intolerance. This is not an easy thing to do. So I'm going to try and show you today how our allegiance to Jesus remains uncompromised. The call to remain faithful. And here are three movements from today's text that I want to lead you through. The door of compromise, good versus bad tolerance, and enduring faithfulness. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 18. It'll be up on the screen. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them into pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. Uh, one of my uh, most memorable, fun, and enjoyable trips before I was married was to China, uh, right before the 2008 Olympics. It, it's an amazing country, and I did all of the touristy things, uh, visiting the major uh, cities and significant cities of China's past, present, and future. 
And uh, when I say I did all the touristy things, I mean all things tourist, uh, because, well, just look at me. Uh, here's a picture of me standing in front of Tiananmen Square, looking like quite the tourist. I mean, I stick out like a sore thumb. And next to it is a, another picture that I took while hiking a portion of the Great Wall. A massive sandstorm rolled in that day and literally swallowed us. We barely escaped. The Great Wall is China's best known monument. It's an incredibly impressive engineering feat. It cost a ton of money. It was a ton of labor and it took 20 plus years to build. It surrounded the country during the Ming Dynasty. It spanned uh, 4,000 miles long and over at over 20 feet tall. It was designed to be an impregnable obstacle to invading armies. What a great idea. I mean, I'm not advocating for walls today or saying that walls are still important, but at the time, it was a great idea and it would have worked really, really well, except for this the enemy was actually able to bribe the gatekeeper. Now, this was well-documented. Uh, in the first hundred years after it was built, the Chinese were invaded three times, but none of the attacks were because of a wall break or penetration. Uh, no one was successful doing that until Genghis Khan in 1213. Here's my point. With the compromise of just one guard, an impenetrable wall was rendered useless. Now, if you look up the definition of compromise at the top of the list, it's defined as a settlement of differences by mutual concessions. And this is good. This is a positive definition of compromise. But if you skip down the list a bit, you'll find another way that this word is used in a negative sense. And we all know this way as the illustration highlights. To expose and make vulnerable to danger, suspicion, scandal, or to jeopardize. It's that type of compromise that I'm talking about today. Like when athletes compromise by taking performance enhancing drugs uh, for the sake of getting ahead, or when pastors compromise on their theology or conviction so that they can gain favor or acceptance, or the kind of compromises that happen in the workplaces for the sake of profit, um, and the bad kind of compromises that happen with husbands and wives when they start getting a little too friendly on Facebook with their ex from high school or a past relationship. You know what I'm talking about. Compromise is dangerous because it destroys trust. It produces cynicism and deep wounds in our lives. It reduces the quality of our relationships, our relationships with others, even our relationship and how we relate with God. It's an untethering of our relationship with God. And all it takes is a little bit of compromise, right? Uh, we all know the person who is just crushing it at work, but there's this little thing that trips them up. Um, this is codified in Greek myth by the Achilles heel. When you jeopardize something through your compromise, it only takes a little bit, just a tiny bit of compromise to put in jeopardy the entire structure of something. Now, this could be a life, a marriage, or even a church. You may have noticed that when we read through our text that the little bit of compromise that got into Thyatira was couched in the, this word, tolerant. Jesus says, you were tolerant of Jeze Jezebel. 
But if you actually look at the whole thing and zoom out, uh, Thyatira was absolutely crushing it. I mean, but this is how compromise works, right? Look at verse 19. Thyatira was the most commended church in the book of Revelation. Jesus had five commendations for that church. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance. And then he goes on to say, and that you are now doing more than what you did at first. This is incredible. This is like Jesus saying reality. I know about how you love one another, how you're growing in faith and service to others and reaching more of San Francisco. I know you're ministering to one another, caring for one another, and you're remaining steadfast and growing. And note the trajectory here that you are doing more than what you did at first. Not only are you doing all these good things, but you're accomplishing and exceeding more and more than when you first started. Jesus sees this and commends the church for all of it. They are crushing it. I mean, that would be true of our church as well, right? It would be like Jesus saying to us, I know who you were 11 years ago, and now you're doing way more than you were 11 years ago. Well done. What a great report. But there was just one thing, one open door, one guard at the gate, just like the church of Thyatira that let someone in. That woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. Sadly, the door of compromise was opened in the church of Thyatira. If you remember a few weeks ago, we studied the church of Ephesus in the seven letters to the churches uh, in Revelation. And Ephesus, if you remember, kept evil people from getting in and withstood false teachings from false apostles. Yet they ceased from being loving, caring, and compassionate towards others. So it was like Ephesus was strong in Bible. Uh, They loved the Bible, but they lost their first love. On the other hand, Thyatira, the church that we're talking about today, was strong in love, but they were weak in Bible. They gave themselves over too easily to doctrinal heresies. One commentator said this, it's common for churches to be polarized in one of these two extremes. Either they will have full heads and empty hearts or full hearts and empty minds. Either polarization is deadly. God demands both love and sound doctrine. Let me illustrate. Table salt is a compound, a mixture of two elements. You have sodium and chloride. Both of these elements are poisonous by themselves. Sodium, an alkali metal, can be explosive if added to water, and chlorine by itself is a highly poisonous gas. If you ingest either sodium or chloride alone, you will die. But if you put them together properly, they become sodium chloride, common table salt. So too, doctrine and love must be found together. One without the other can lead to a dangerous imbalance. But combined together, they provide flavor and health to the body of Christ. Church, we need these two things together. But how can we know the balance between these two? And like I said in my intro, uh, one way is to learn the balance between being tolerant 
and intolerant. There are some things we have to tolerate in the church, like bearing with one another. You all know this, but there's actually some intolerance that Jesus points out here, and that's what I want to talk about next. Good tolerance versus bad tolerance. Uh, guys, understanding this as a church that's maturing, uh, this is the way forward. Understanding what is good tolerance and when tolerance needs to end. I'll call that bad tolerance. So what does it look like to be intolerant in a God-honoring way, but still remain tolerant in a civic way? Notice what Jesus had against uh, Thyatira. I have this against you. You tolerate this woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Wow. He was rebuking them because of the tolerance of Jezebel. Now, tolerance is a buzzword in our world today. You see, there's tolerance as a virtue, uh, but Jesus doesn't use it in this way. What Jesus is saying is to be intolerant of the spirit of Jezebel. But here's a question you might be asking. So who's Jezebel? Okay, the term Jezebel goes back 100 years earlier to the Old Testament book of Israel's kings, which is like a history of the kings of Israel. Uh, Jezebel married King Ahab, became queen, and then set out to exterminate the prophets of God. She was an enemy of God, and uh, her teachings led people astray through sexual immorality and uh, with pagan worship. And so they would, uh, you know, offer this food to these idols. Um, and uh, those, uh, those false gods were Baal and Ashtoreth, uh, the, the pagan gods of fertility and motherhood. And so she would lead these, these, the people of Israel astray. Uh, and, and she, along with her husband, actually, they usher in the absolute worst time for Israel and the prophets during the Old Testament. Now, and that, that's saying something. So she represents someone who is coming against God. And while Jezebel is a real person, Jesus is using Jezebel here as an idiom. We need to see this particular woman that Jesus calls a person as a spirit of compromise, uh, immorality, and lies that arises out of a dynamic that happens in communities of faith that follow Jesus, or it can even happen in an individual life or in a family, in our homes. Tolerating any form of compromise in our lives can be a threat to our allegiance to Jesus. Let me say that again. Tolerating any form of compromise in our lives can be a threat to our allegiance to Jesus. If there are any areas or ways in my life that I'm allowing compromise in, the bad compromise, when the enemy gets to the gate, this can be a threat to my allegiance to Jesus. Jezebel is a spirit of compromise where you allow things like sexual immorality into your life. 
when you allow the things like idolatry and uh, or anything, the stuff in your life wherein you care more about those things than you do seeking first the kingdom of God. And for Thyatira, it was done through work. It was the way that they worked in, the, in society. Uh, they were known uh, for their industry and they compromised through their work. And from their work that led to relationships, from their work led to relationships and relationships led to certain parties and from certain parties led to orgies, but it all started with work, which is crazy to think that our work, our vocation as followers of Jesus can lead us into compromise. Okay. So let's just pause right here for a moment and ask ourselves these questions. In what ways is tolerance or any sort of sin in our lives leading to compromise? Has that compromise gone to a place where our faithfulness to Jesus is being threatened? What has crept into your life and you've tolerated it? Maybe it looks like self-sufficiency because in this season of pandemic, I mean, you've been crushing it. You're congratulating yourself and celebrating yourself. Or maybe you found yourself uh, increasing in jealousy as you've been on social media, comparing yourself with others, which has led to a lack of complacency or even complaining. And now you have a bitter spirit. How does it start for you? Do you want to know how it starts for me? I start tolerating. I went from disobeying my parents to ditching school, to selling drugs, to being transported, handcuffed to the floor of a plane. Think uh, Con Air, but first class because it was a Cessna and I was the sole prisoner, to four years in federal prison for a marijuana and ecstasy drug conspiracy. How did I get there? I opened the door to compromise. We cannot tolerate the small things because they lead to big things. I can speak all day to this. No one wakes up in the morning and sets the intention to become an alcoholic or a drug or a porn addict. Uh, you know how this goes. Uh, some of you experience it now. You get your, your, your gig, your job, uh, it's exciting. Um, and a colleague says, hey, come to this work party to um, here, have this drink, to here, take this pill. And then you have sex with a virtual stranger and then you wake up one morning not fully knowing what happened the night before or who you were with and uh, you're filled with confusion and then the grief sets in and you're left wondering, how in the world did I get here? It happens little by little, that's how. And then all of a sudden, you see, these little small compromises have led you down this road. Take a look at this picture from French history painter and teacher Thomas Couture. He painted this famous piece titled Romans of Decadence in 1847. Now, at first glance, you may, you may think like, no way would I or no way could I find myself in a scene like this. Maybe it appalls some of you. Okay, or maybe you see the scene and uh, some desire begins stirring inside of you. Uh, maybe a desire that you once gave into in the past, or maybe you just 
gave into it twice, or maybe it was for a whole season in your life. Or maybe you're just like, ah, oh, Art, I don't get you. <laughs> okay, let me uh, illuminate and illustrate what's happening here. If you zoom in to the center of the painting, Couture has placed a group of debauched revelers. Uh, they're exhausted and disillusioned, or they're still drinking or dancing or something. If you look closely in the foreground, uh, you'll see three men who are not taking part in the revels. On the left, uh, there's a melancholic young person that, that's sitting on a column. And on the right, two foreign visitors cast disapproving eyes over the scene. Uh, even the, the, the antique statues looming above the group also seem to be condemning the orgy. Which person do you most identify with? The intolerant visitors? The sad young person who's either racked with grief over what they've just done, or maybe this person knows they just really want to join the party, but doesn't. Are you the person who just shows up to the party uh, neutral? Like, I'm not neither tolerant or intolerant. Now, you may have also noticed the Golden Gate Bridge in the background of the painting. Hmm. What's that all about? And how did that get there? Well, it's no secret that a lot of what goes on in Silicon Valley's technorati, brotopia culture, which devolves into a way of living that is just so opposed to the way and spirit of Jesus. This painting was updated in a 2019 Vanity Fair article to parody that culture which still exists today. That's how the bridge got into the painting. You see, when we tolerate small things, they lead to big things. So the message of Thyatira was to be intolerant. I know, that does not sound good to our modern ears. It's the spirit of compromise in the bad sense. It's the lying spirit of tolerance that threatens our allegiance to Jesus. But at this point, we have a choice to make. Look at verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Jesus says there's an opportunity to repent, a, a reset, a turning around, a turning around for those of you who feel ashamed and condemned. And I want to say that there's an opportunity for you to reset this morning. If you've listened to that spirit of compromise, that lying spirit of Jezebel saying that there's no hope for you, reset, turn around, repent. And so what God is doing here is that he's showing his care and love and concern by offering the chance to repent. Guys, this is the moment. Ask Jesus for forgiveness. Offer to him those things which have crept into your life that you've tolerated, the things in, in your life which are not from the Holy Spirit. In moments where we are pressured to compromise and our allegiance to Jesus is threatened, God promises that when we trust him, he will meet us. Guys, this is amazing. He will meet us. God promises that when we trust him, he will meet us. 
because God is faithful. It's not dependent on us. It's on him. It's his promises to us. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful to us to the end. And finding the balance between tolerance and the point at where tolerance needs to end is the road that we travel to enduring faithfulness. You see, church, um, and listen up, when we do trust God, when we patiently and faithfully endure, you'll notice that it invites us into a space where we obey the voice of God. And when we hear and obey his voice, renewal begins. Patterns of sin just break down. New things begin. Verse 24. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. Now, I say to the rest of you, this implies a remnant, those who weren't compromising and were intolerant in a faithful Jesus way. Because the early church had a temptation to follow those other theories. Satan's so-called deep secrets. Yes, the church is susceptible to deep secrets. Yes, things like fake news, conspiracy theories, and the like. But I, I don't have time to get into all that right now. Verse 25. I will not impose on you any other burden excuse me, except I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have. Jesus is exhorting them here to endure, remain faithful uh, until I come. Now, this is interesting because this is the first mention of Jesus's second coming in the book of Revelation. So what happens when Jesus comes back? We get to be with him forever. Simply put, the way Jesus is telling them to be faithful is to think about eternity. Look at verse 26. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them into pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is eternal life language. And what Jesus is saying here is be faithful in this life and you will rule with me in the next life. Uh, we just think too much of this life and not the next life. We're so wrapped up in our lives, in the, the, the here and the now, and you know we wanna get ahead and advance in this life. But there's a time coming. And I would imagine that a lot of the compromise with Thyatira, and, you know, again, it's, the city was known as a city of industry, a city of work. Uh, they were probably there like, I, I wanna be, I wanna excel and I wanna, be really awesome and have authority at my work and rule over uh, people and manage them and develop them and make a lot of money. And all of those claims aren't bad, 
or all of those aims, excuse me, are not bad, but they're, they're just aimed at the wrong things at the wrong time. Jesus is saying, in the next life, you will, my precious son. In the next life, you will, my precious daughter. There will be a time when you will rule with me and have authority and have all of those things with me. And I will give that one the morning star. Okay, who, who wants a morning star? Jesus, I want one. I want one of those. Jesus, a friend of sinners, created an environment of welcome around himself where the lost loved him and the self-righteous hated him. Jesus was tolerant to sinners and intolerant to the proud. Jesus always saves the best for last. He's like, you know, give up something now, something that's temporary, and then you will gain something eternal. That's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around. But eternity with Jesus, wow. I mean, everything else is like a candle in the wind compared to that. Actually, it's it's more like more like trying to light a candle in a hurricane. It just it doesn't hold up. Now, on the other hand, the lying spirit of Jezebel and the father of lies, Satan, saves the worst for last. Here, get, get a little sip of compromise. Just take, just take a little sip. Then a cup of tolerance. Then a bowl of guilt. Then a gallon of shame. And the next thing you know, you're drowning in sin. It will kill you. So, church, we should give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. You are not your own. Christ died and paid a ransom for you. He's the bridegroom, and we, the church, are his bride. And he's coming back for us. He's jealous for you. He loves you. Will you be faithful to him and choose the way of Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your word to us today. God, we receive them with open ears and hearts, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be our helper, uh, which is what you do, and to help us to obey. And we simply uh, do this because we believe you. And I pray that you would encourage those struggling with their belief today, God. For anyone who is at the door of compromise, Lord, would you strengthen them? Would you encourage them? Would you be with them now, Jesus? Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom, understanding, and patience that endures until you return. Lord, help us. Be with us. We want to say that we love you and we thank you again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.